Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 23rd episode from the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the American singer, pianist, composer, actor, TV host, and all-round classy guy, Harry Connick Jr. This took place in 1999, when he came to London to promote his then-latest big band album. All right, Harry, your new album, Come By Me, is your 12th album, I think, is that right? It's something like that. I, I kind of lost count after the first few. And how does this compare with your previous ones, do you feel? Um, I think it's, it's got some similarities to the, the other big band records I've done, uh, but the differences in my, my performance, I think, I think I'm, you know, I'm starting to get stronger as a singer and as a writer, as a piano player, so probably in those ways it's the most different. In what um, ways specifically, do, when you listen to this album and you listen to the old ones, for or do you not listen to the old ones anymore? Not too much. I mean, if, if I hear one or somebody's playing it, I'll hear it, but I don't really listen to them too much. It kind of, you know, I, I'm glad I'm, I've gone beyond that, you know. I'm glad I've, hopefully, I've, I've improved. So what's your favorite track on this album? Um, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the title track come by me because it's got it's got a lot of variety within the song itself you know it's got new orleans piano in it it's got the big band um it's got singing it's got a little bit of everything so i probably have to pick that one now you wrote that one and obviously several others on the album but there's also a few old classics on there is it sort of important to include a few old standards that people always know i thought it was important although it's funny because you would think that everybody would know those songs but many times people come up to me and say oh that that song you wrote, uh, "Love for Sale," is a great song. You know, I say, "Wow, thanks," but I didn't, I didn't write it. You know, so it's it's kind of cool to introduce some of those songs to some people who may not not have heard them before. One of the old classics on the album is "There's No Business Like Show Business." Now, some people might think it's a bit of a risk for you to do that, but in fact, it proves to be a great vehicle for showing off your vocal vocal talents, doesn't it? Really. Oh, thanks. Well, it's you know, if you really look at that song from a compositional point of view. It's a it's a beautiful tune. The, the lyrics are amazing. The the melody's great. It just sort of has become a, a campy sort of song. But if you break it down and, and and look at it in a different light, it's a pretty great song. So I'm I'm happy that I, that I put that on the record. And why did you choose Danny Boy? Another unexpected one. Well, I, I recorded Danny Boy in. Uh, in a film called The Memphis Bell. I sang it, and a lot of people over the years have said, how come you haven't recorded it on an album? Um, and I just I think it's an amazing piece of music, and this was sort of my way of thanking the people over the years for, for requesting that song. You're known to record your albums live. What does that mean, and why do you do it? I think to record it live means to go in and record without overdubbing um, and basically overdubbing is you record one instrument then you go back and on the same tape you add another instrument over that well we record all the instruments at the same time which is what you would think would happen in a studio but a lot of times nowadays they'll, they'll do everything in, at separate times and and then put it all together later I do it like that because that's the only way I know I was brought up playing live and singing with the band and as opposed to doing everything over a period of months we record it in a few days and then go home when you give live concerts, which songs do you enjoy performing most? I like different songs at different times. Like, you know, if I sing Danny Boy every night, by the third, fourth, fifth night, I'm going to get kind of sick of it. So fortunately, there's a, a wealth of, of songs that have been written that I can choose from, and we change it, we change it up every night. What's the one song that audiences most demand that you sing? They probably like It Had to Be You. Like when I sing that, they, they respond to that. They also respond to Danny Boy. And sometimes, man, you'll sing a song that, you know, you've never actually recorded and, and maybe they're familiar with it or they're feeling good at that point in the show and they'll start clapping, you know, for a song that I've never recorded, which I never, <laughs> I've never been able to figure out, but it feels nice. How do you categorize yourself as a singer? Are you a jazz singer in your opinion? I probably wouldn't say I'm not a jazz singer, only because I think of Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan, Billie Holiday as jazz singers. I think of myself as more of a more of a pop singer. Just I sing the melody pretty straight, I sing the lyrics pretty straight, and I don't mess around with it a whole bunch. I, I mess around with it some, uh, and the songs that I sing are usually considered to be jazz standards. But I know I'm a jazz piano player, but I don't know if I would call myself a jazz singer. Your type of music seems to be the sort that people either love or hate. Would you agree with that? I don't, I don't know too many people who hate big band music. I know a bunch of them who don't like it very much, but 
I know people who hate jazz, but but big band music, I don't know how many people hate it. But there are some people who really love it, though, man. Like, and that's nice, you know, because I'm just glad that we're able to occupy even a small part of the of the musical scene. You've described your style of music as a dying art. Do you feel you're on a mission to keep it alive? I'm on a mission to keep me alive. <laughs> I mean, if you know, I just want to be able to uh, to continue to perform. It's up to the other musicians who play it to do their part. I, I'm not trying to sustain uh, the continuance of this this music at all. But if I can keep playing, that's fine. That <laughs> sounds selfish, but that's kind of true in a way. Are you ever on the lookout for other people like you who can sing this kind of music so to keep the future secure? I'm I'm on the lookout for them all the time, and and. You know, you you hear people a lot. You know, young people from ten years old on up. That's that you say, wow, that, this person has a lot of talent. And you do what you can to try to further their career and get them started. How did you come to get into this kind of music in the first place? Is it simply because you came from New Orleans, or was it a family thing? It was mostly from where I'm from because I heard this music from the time I was a little kid, and and that's. I mean, if I grew up in Jamaica, I'd probably be playing reggae music. But my family had a lot to do with it too. They encouraged me and and uh, got me lessons and exposed me to the music. So it's probably it's probably a combination of those things. But most people of your age, when they were kids, they listened to pop or rock music. Didn't you listen to that? Oh, I listened to it. Sure, you know, a lot of rock and roll and disco and all that stuff that I grew up with. But when it came down to choosing what I was going to play, I chose the music that provided the greatest challenge to me as a musician, and that that just happened to be jazz. But sometimes when children choose to do something different from their contemporaries, it can lead to them getting a bit of persecution and so on. It never happened in your case. You weren't bothered about what other people thought. Well, I think just the fact that I was a piano player and a singer, like in high school, was novelty enough to win the, the praise of my peers. They could care less of what kind of music it was. Just the fact that I was playing around town and they could come hear me, even though they may not have liked the music, it was novelty enough to keep their interest. So I didn't really, I wasn't persecuted by any means. Were you ever into any pop or rock music? Have you ever been? Oh yeah, man. Like I mean, I was in rock bands and funk bands, and I listened to, man, you know, Queen and Kansas, all that seventies rock, Leonard Skinner, and all. I loved all that stuff. I still do. Your father is, I believe, a district attorney mm -hmm. for New Orleans. Correct. Your mother was a judge, I believe, and your sister is in army intelligence, I think. Right, she, was, um, she used to be, yeah. Right. Was there a lot of pressure on you to succeed in life? Uh, not by them, mostly by me, but I think I inherited that. I inherited sort of a, a real strong work ethic from them. But they never really put it to me like, we want you to, you know, go to school and succeed. You know what I mean? I, I was always doing it anyway. I was always practicing and working hard. So they really didn't have to, to put the pressure on me. I was always one to, to work hard. Of course, I had their examples to go by. And, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that was a lot of pressure without them having to say or do anything. Why do you think you're such a successful family, though? Oh, I guess it's... Uh, I don't know. I, I like my parents are hard workers. You know, there's there's really no secret to success. I don't I don't think. I think it's a formula, and a lot of luck is involved. But within your own mind, you can be successful. But you have to spend time to develop your craft and develop your skill. And my parents did it. My sister did it, and, and hopefully, I did it too. Is your father Harry Connick Senior? Well, he's seen. They call him Senior because of. His relationship to me, but, but you know, obviously on his birth certificate it says Harry Connick. But in America, they when they give you a junior, when a son is a junior, they call him senior just to differentiate. So where did this all start? Calling you Harry Connick Junior was it the record label thought that's a good idea? No, that's my name. That's on my birth certificate. When people are, when you name a son in the United States the same name as the father, they they call you Junior, and that's on your birth certificate. Harry Connick Junior is my name. And that's, that's just always been my name, you know. Have you ever been asked or urged to change it? No, uh, I mean, in, like I say, in, in America, that's just the way. That's it's it's funny to people in Europe because I don't think they do that over here. But in the States, that's it's extremely common to have to have a junior. And no, nobody ever, you know. It was only, only when I come to Europe, people say, "What that's what, what is this appendage to your name?" You know. Well, are there any musical roots in your own family, and which ones are they? 
Uh, they're probably on my mother's side. My mother had a brother who was very musical. Um, and although I didn't know my mother's side very well, I'm, I'm aware of uh, the, the musical talent that they had. I, I don't really think they were performers, but more composers and things like that. So I know that there was music on that side of the family. You lost your mum when you were 13. Do you think in a way that made you quite driven? No, I, I was driven before then, um, and her death really had no effect on me as a performer, you know. Uh, it had a profound effect on me as a person, but it really didn't impact anything I was doing musically. Um, it's way beyond that. You know, music is, is a philosophy, and it's an art, and it's something to spend many hours thinking about. But when you lose someone in your life, it's, it's, it's infinitely greater than, than anything as trivial as music, you know. Nonetheless, do you feel that she's watched over you all these years and encouraged you? Oh, I think so. I, I like to think that, you know, she's looking down on me and she's probably much happier where she is now and could care less about her life on earth. But uh, I like to think that, that she knows and is watching. It's a nice feeling. How and when did you start performing as a singer? Um, I, st I started playing and singing as a kid. Um, going down to New Orleans, uh, going down to the French Quarter in New Orleans, sitting in with the bands. Um, I recorded two albums as a piano player, one album as a piano player, and then I recorded another one with singing involved in it, too. And um, I started just just singing and, singing and playing, you know, just doing it. Did you ever consider doing anything else for a career? No, I thank God I can do this because I can't do anything else. <laughs> Was your father initially keen for you to go into law, for instance? No, my parents always knew that I had uh, an affinity for music, and they never suggested that I do anything else. They wanted me to be educated, uh, which I barely barely got by that request. But uh, they never really pushed me into anything else. They were just real supportive of my playing music. Did you barely get through the education because you were so involved in your music and you wouldn't want to do anything else? I think I barely got through it because I'm stupid. <laughs> I really do sometimes, man. We, they would give us projects in school, and I'd be looking at this stuff like, I just, my brain doesn't work in that way. You know, I can understand a lot of things, but a lot of the chemistry and the math stuff, I just never got. I never understood it. But primarily, uh, it was because I, my interests were elsewhere, and I knew that eventually I would be dedicating all of my time to music. So it was a question of impatience and, and distraction that led me to be a, a poor student. But I imagine your school and college are probably now very proud of you, aren't they? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, they... Yeah, I would hope so, but not, not academically. <laughs> have they not invited you back to do special presentations and things? I, no, not, never have. <laughs> At what stage did you think, then, that you would make a career out of this? Oh man, I knew it from when I was a kid. Like when I when I was five years old, I, I did my first public performance, and 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 I got a taste of what it was like to be on stage. And I said, man, I hope I can, I can continue this because I really loved it. Were you ever told you'd never make it performing this style of music? Well, once actually it was in England. I I was just getting started, and one of the guys from the record company said where would you like to play? And I said, oh, I'd like to play Royal Albert Hall. And he kind of laughed. He said, well, that'll never happen. You, you don't play the right kind of music, and this, you'll end up playing in little cabarets and stuff. I said, well, you know, hopefully I can, I can one day. But, but that was like the only time somebody's ever said, you can't, you know? And that was uneventful. I, I didn't even think about it twice. Whenever anyone has said, I can't to you, or you can't, rather, do, does that make you more determined? I don't think I could be more determined. Um, whenever someone says you can't, it's it's usually something I don't want to do anyway. You know what I mean? I, and I know what I can't do. I, I know I can't be a pop radio sensation. I know I can't be on the top of the charts because that's just not in the cards for me. But I don't really want that. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't. I never really wanted that anyway. I never really tried to get that stuff. All I wanted was to be able to perform. And if that means doing interviews and practicing very hard and working at my craft, then that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I've done. And so it's it's been cool. 
Yeah, you've, you've opted for a market which had been untapped for many years. How aware were you that it was, in fact, a very smart thing to go into this style of music? I never went into the, to this style because of that. I, I just, this is the style that I did. Um, and people responded to it. But that was sort of byproduct of my already playing it. Um, so it wasn't like, I mean, I don't have that kind of creative uh, capacity to be able to look and say, okay, where is there a hole in the market? Let me go do that. It wasn't like that at all. I, I think if I were interested in, in, in creating a market, I would have gone into pop music where I knew there was a market and you know what I'm saying? But I didn't really choose this kind of music. It, I just, this is all I've ever known. People have, of course, always compared you to Frank Sinatra. Did you ever model yourself on him in any way? Oh yeah, man. When I was 18, 20 years old, I would imitate that guy try to understand how he did it because there's no teachers for this you know there's nobody to no contemporaries nobody to model yourself after he is the single singer that understands this kind of music the best so as a student of the music just like on piano i listen to errol garner and duke ellington and thelonious monk as a singer i listen to nat cole dick hames frank sinatra these are the people that i, I pattern myself after and would literally imitate um until i felt you know, I was on the road to developing a style. Does this mean you wouldn't have done this without him? I don't know what I would have done without him. I don't know what where pop music would be today without him. He he influenced a lot of people. I mean, he was the first singer to sing with a microphone. He, I don't know where any of us would be had he not been around. We'd be in some place. We'd certainly be a different place. What particular kind of influence did he have on you? He, he just... Uh, is probably one of the only singers that really sings a lyric and has a great musical knowledge as well. You know, like, not a lot of singers really know harmony in music and have a great sound to their voice and sing the lyrics. It's usually one or the other. Um, so it's, you know, he's got, he's got the, whole, the whole package, you know. Plus, he, he was singing at a time where the songwriting level was so high and the musicianship level was so high. He was around it, uh, you know, a friend of mine, we were flying over here, and he was on the plane talking about when Frank was singing with Count Basie's band. And I said, man, the, the moon and the stars must have been lined up right to have that level of musicianship and him and those great tunes to come around at the same time. It was just a, you know, just a perfect match, and um, we're blessed to have that on record. It's said that you met Sinatra many times. Do you remember the first time? Yeah, I met him three times. The first time I was a kid, I was like eight or ten, and he was coming through New Orleans doing a, a show, and we were down at Al Hertz Club in the French Quarter, and, and he came through there, and the place was packed, you know, and everybody was kind of standing around waiting for him to come, and I just said hi to him briefly, you know. It was a very uneventful meeting. The second time I met him was uh, at his birthday party. He had a celebration for his 75th birthday, and, and I was one of the singers uh, among many singers on this bill and I talked to him uh, very briefly uh, and then I met him uh, like at a dinner party it was like a dinner and I said hi to him real quick I probably spent 15 minutes with him in the entirety of the, the meetings you know to what extent did he live up to your expectations you mean on a personal level he, I, I, I kind of knew the kind of person that he was from his reputation you know which is a pretty intense kind of a quiet guy, you know, um, and he, that's, that's what he was, you know, he didn't, he, he wasn't overly nice, but he was very accommodating, he wasn't rude to me at all, I had heard that he could be rude, um, but my God, I mean, like, you know, if you'd forget about the fact that he's Frank Sinatra and just examine what he did as an artist, it's unbelievable, it is truly unbelievable, the gift that that man had, he changed music and to be able to say that is uh you know, something you can only dream about so I man he could have been a real jerk to me and it wouldn't have mattered i just to shake his hand and to say you have profoundly influenced me as a musician was was all i needed and he was very kind he happened to say look i know what you're doing keep up the good work you know and that man that's the kind of compliment that or comment that would take you through many years did he give you any more specific advice than that he gave me one piece of advice, and this is so typical in, in hindsight, looking at his life. And although I didn't know him, I could probably say this was a typical comment. I asked him one time, we have a very similar range. Um, 
we're both sort of high baritones. My highest note is pretty much his highest note. My lowest note is his lowest note. But there's a record that he sang on uh, where he hits a high A flat, which is about three notes higher than I can go. Actually, I can get there now, but at the time I couldn't. And I couldn't figure out how he did it. It was, it was just very uncommon for him to go that high. And I said, Mr. Sinatra, look, I hate to ask you this, but you hit a high A flat on this particular number. How did you do it? You know, what did you what did you do? And he, he kind of looked at me. He says, I just opened my mouth and it was there. You know, so that that's the kind of advice he gave me. But I tell you, and, and although it sounds vague, when you sing with a big man every night, and you sing for two or three hours a night, when you do that, even though it sounds simple, when you forget about the technique and just open your mouth and try to hit the note, you know, it kind of, sometimes it works like that. So I kind of understand what he was talking about. Did you ever discuss recording or performing a duet with Sinatra? Never did. Um, even when the... I don't know if I could have, man. I don't, I don't know if I would have had the, the confidence to get in the studio with that, that man. I don't, I don't think I would have done it. And even on those duets records that he did, he wasn't singing with them anyway. I don't think any of those people would have had the guts to sing with him. No, I, it never came up, and nobody ever asked me to do it. Um, and I'm, you know, what would it have proved, you know? It would have just been a selfish opportunity for me to get the greatest singing experience of my life. It would have been a silly experience for him. And to sing with a kid, you know, he's, he's sung with everybody. He's sung with everyone you know it wouldn't have meant anything to him so it doesn't bother me that it never happened how did you hear that he died and how did you feel when you heard i can't i think i heard it on the radio or i can't remember how i heard to be honest with you but oh man i was it was a real loss i didn't know the man i didn't know him personally you would think that i would like have been at his house every day and he was passing a torch to me it wasn't like that at all i i really did not know him at all but but it was it was a tragic thing, man. People who loved his music were sad to see him go. But it was time. I mean, he was 82. He was sick, you know, and looked like he wasn't feeling so hot. So it wasn't a shock that he died, in other words. Did you send flowers or make a nice tribute of any kind? No, because, uh, once again, I, I didn't know the guy. They asked me to, to do, like, a TV show, and I think I am a living tribute to him. I think you can see the influence that he's had on me. And I think I'm a tribute to Louis Armstrong. I think I'm a tribute to Duke and clearly a tribute to Frank Sinatra. So I didn't, I mean, like I'm not one of these guys that go jump on an album as soon as somebody dies and go pay tribute to them. I think that's really gross. If I had hung out with him, maybe I would have done something, but there are too many other people that really knew him that were more fitting to do a tribute. Do you feel a lot of his fans are hoping you'll now keep his spirit alive in some way? I think my fans know that I'm, we are so different. Like, if you heard him in concert and heard me in concert, we're so different. And I don't think my fans want me to keep his spirit alive. His spirit's alive and, and is going to, whether I live or die, is not going to be affect. I'm not going to affect his spirit. I, I think my fans want me to just do, do what I'm doing. And I really believe that they don't, I'm not compared to him. The question I get every day is, how do you like being compared to him? Like, no interviewer or journalist ever says, you really remind me of him. How does that make you feel? That never happens. They always say, what is it like being compared to him? And to be honest, that hasn't happened in 10 years when, when they actually really did compare me to him. But now, you know, they, they just don't do it anymore. Have you deliberately avoided doing his hit songs? Oh yeah, I mean, like, there's a ton of tunes that I would love to do that I can't, I can't mess. I mean, like, I, I'm not interested in like New York, New York tunes like that, but I would love to sing all or nothing at all. And but every song I do, he did. You know, like I, I go to write a new arrangement of a tune. Even tunes like the man that got away, he sang. Like, damn, Frank, did you say any song? that you didn't do. He didn't do Cry Me a River, as far as I know. So I said, let me at least get something, something new. Because he sang every song that was ever done. So it's either write your own songs or just pick tunes that weren't that popular. So there were a lot of tunes that he did that he wasn't known for. But I, I'm not going to sing The Summer Wind. You know, that's, that's gross. Will you ever do a Harry Connick Sing Sinatra album? No, I would never do that. What's the point, you know? I mean... 
just so people can hear my versions of I don't know I don't know I don't think so I would do like a Harry Connick sings Cole Porter but I wouldn't do like like singing his tunes no that's that's gross I think have you got any memorabilia or autographs of him or anything well, I have a picture that I took with him. That's pretty cool. But I have a watch that was given to him, I think back in the 40s, that his daughter gave me. Um, and it says The Voice. They used to call him The Voice. That was his nickname. And it's not an expensive watch. It's probably a $30 watch. That was, But apparently he came in contact with him at some point, or he wore it, or he had it in his house. And she gave it to me. It's very, very dear to me. I expected you to be quite resistant to talking about Frank Sinatra, but you seem quite happy to talk about him. Oh, no, I, I mean, I, but I really don't talk about him that much. I mean, he's a great influence of mine, and he was a, he was a very uh, public character, and people are dying to know anything they can know, and, and, and they think that I know. They're not really interested in Duke Ellington. They're not really interested in Monk, you know, but they, everybody wants to know about Frank. You know, if I got some stories to tell, what was he like? I even want to know that stuff. When I meet people that really knew him, I ask those questions, too. Um, and he was a huge influence on me. So, no, I'm not. I don't mind talking about it. Plus, man, if you're going to be compared to anybody, that's like being compared to Muhammad Ali. If you're a fighter, like, my God, it, I, th- I happen to think you're wrong. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm on that level, but... I'll gladly accept the compliment. Would you like to have been working in the 50s and 60s? Um, Yes and no. The yes part is that the level of musicianship, in my opinion, was a lot higher. People were just better craftsmen, better musicians. They, They just were better players back then. So in that way, I would have enjoyed the competition. But on the other hand, I enjoy the technology today. I enjoy um, all of the things that you know this era has that they didn't have back then um and i'm glad i have no no regrets for not being born in another time i'm very much a you know contemporary the way i dress the way i i'm into computers and all that stuff i just I, i embrace the time that i'm in which others of that vintage were your heroes though are your heroes and which ones have you met um, I haven't met hardly any of them. Um, I, like I like uh, I mentioned Dick Hames and Nat Cole, um, piano players. Well, like I haven't I haven't met Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington. I didn't meet any of those people. I met Buddy Rich. I met Ella. That was cool. Uv Blake. I met Uv Blake. But n- not a lot of the like the the real big 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 influences on me. I never really, I never met Nat Cole. All those people were gone before I came around. Has anyone like Ella Fitzgerald said anything to you which you'll never forget? Never have, man. I don't have. I don't really have any. Like, you know, you forget. Like, people come up to me sometimes. Like, and 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 they and they they, they may be fans, and it's it's hard for me in in my position to realize that I may represent something to a person that say Sinatra represented to me, and he never said anything incredibly encouraging to me so when a young performer comes up to me I'm very upfront about telling them how I feel um, whether it's constructive criticism or a compliment um, because I know how much that means and, and nobody ever really said my god if Ella Fitzgerald came up to me and said you are fantastic but that, that would have never happened because they heard me when I was 22 years old and no 22 year old is dealing with anything on a serious musical level it just that's not the, not in jazz anyway nowadays if they came up to me I, oh I tell you like a guy named Hank Jones not a lot of people know who he is but he's 81 years old he's one of the great jazz piano players alive today we played a festival together a couple of months back and he came up to me and and said, I'm glad I stayed because he played first. And I said, why is that, Mr. Jones? He said, so I could get my lesson. And I'm saying, oh, man, like to hear that from a guy that you truly idolize, really, really idolize is, is uh, amazing, man. That's, but that's like the only thing anybody ever said of that caliber. Have you ever considered switching music styles, perhaps even to country music? Not to country. I'd look like an idiot. I mean, I just, you know, I, I, there's a real style that, that you have to have to do that. I just, the, my essence is very New Orleanian. You know, it's very deep south. It's not, it's not country at all. Uh, but on a general level, like what I do 
I wouldn't do a kind of music that I don't know anything about. There's just too many people better at it. I really know jazz music and New Orleans music. I really, really know that stuff. I don't know reggae. I don't know Cuban music. I could probably play at it a little bit, but I'll leave that to the people who know it. It's like if I jumped into a country band and tried to sing, I, I, it really would not sound good at all. Like I just, I've done it. I've done it in uh, when I was doing Hope Floats down in Texas. I went to a country and western bar, and they asked me up to sing. Man, it was terrible. It was so bad because those guys have a different kind of voice. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. So, to what extent was your musical contribution to the film When Harry Met Sally your big break? Do you think? Oh, it was in every way my big break. That was before that I sold twenty, thirty, forty thousand records, and then that came out, and I sold a million records. I mean, my my life did a one eighty, man. I, I was completely different. I, I was recognized on the street. I was getting booked in 1,500, 2,000 seaters as opposed to 150 seaters and touring and oh my god I'm, I'm so indebted to Rob Reiner for that chance man I can't even tell you. Were you ever offered an acting role in that movie? No because the movie had been filmed long before I even got to the process so I know they, they didn't ask me to do that. However, was your involvement in that movie responsible for you going into acting as well? No, because I, I had done a movie bef even before that. Uh, the Memphis Belle I did when I was about 20. And then I was about 21 when I did uh, When Harry Met Sally. And I'm only aware of these ages because I've been talking about them all day. I could never have told you how old I was when I did it uh, a week ago. But I'm really, really up on my dates today. Uh, but I got the acting bug then, and, and it wasn't like I wanted to dedicate my career to it um, but I knew that I wanted it to be a part of my career so whenever a script came along that was interesting um, I did it just to sort of slowly build my skills as an actor. Did you train in acting as well as singing? No I'm, I'm, I'm not really trained as a singer I'm trained as a musician but I never trained as a singer and I never trained as an actor I just uh, I applied my musical knowledge to the singing and I applied my you know, whatever, life knowledge to the acting and just, just try to develop some skills. Did you hesitate about acting at all because of further inevitable comparisons with Sinatra? No, I never... Like, when I did... I, I was thinking about this the other day. There, there was even a line in the Memphis Bell about how I wanted to go to Hollywood and be like Frank Sinatra. So, man, I, I could have cared less. Man, I was like 20 years old. I didn't care what comparisons were. He was a big hero. I, I was just trying to make a, make a name for myself. You didn't worry about spreading yourself too thin. No, I don't think you can spread yourself too thin. I mean, as an artist, I don't see any end to where my ideas are coming from or any kind of creativity. I'm, all, I'm always coming up with things and that are interesting to me. As far as career-wise, you know, if I spread myself too thin, I spread myself too thin. I'm just doing stuff. I, every day I do stuff I want to do, and if people think that's too much, I... I, I have no control over that. Nonetheless, a lot of um, singers have sort of fallen down through doing movies and things. I don't know. I mean, there must be a thousand reasons why individually that that happened. Um, you know, I don't. I can't worry about them. I just have to do what I what, what I want to do. And if my career comes to a halt, then it comes to a halt. You know, I've had a great ride, and I'll continue to play and continue to act on whatever level I can. Hopefully it won't happen, but um, you know I, I can't, I can't. I, it has happened in the past where people who were extremely popular at one point just crash, and you know what can you do? Have you ever watched the Memphis Bell again? I've seen it, yeah, not 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 in its entirety, but I've seen it on TV, like bits and pieces of it. It's pretty cool to see. Are you quite proud of it? Very proud, sure. For somebody who had no idea what he was doing. I'm very proud. <laughs> I don't know how I got through that, man, because I was with some heavyweight actors, John Lithgow and M Matthew Modine, David Strathairn, Eric Stoltz, D.B. Sweeney. I mean, these guys had a lot of experience. <laughs> I didn't have any experience, so, yeah, I'm proud of it. You've said that when acting in movies, you enjoy just doing the one role, whereas in music, you can't help but take on several roles. Why is that? Because I've been trained. Uh, I think had I been trained to be a director and a cinematographer, I probably would be interested in doing that. But as a musician, I've, I'm an orchestrator, I'm a writer, I'm a singer, piano player. So I do the things that I know how to do. But as an actor, I don't know how to do anything right now but act. Maybe down the road I'd like to try something else, but not until I have some skills at it. 
Well, you've played some very varied acting roles. Presumably that's how you want it to be. I just like doing good good things, or things that I think are are worthwhile. Um, I, I, I will get a little bored playing the same part over and over again, so in a sense I'm trying to impose some variety on, on my decision-making. But uh, it's not really a, a big conscious effort to, to leapfrog that much, you know? What movies are you most and least proud to have been in? Uh, there's a movie called Excess Baggage, which I'm not that proud of. It was not not the best cinematic effort. Um, and I'm probably the most proud of a movie that I did that hasn't been released yet called Wayward Son. Um, and I play opposite Pete Postlethwaite, and that's it. That's the reason I'm proud to have been in it, aside from the fact that it was incredible writing and just an amazingly beautiful film. I got a chance to see it not long ago, and I'm so proud of this movie. But to to see my name up there with Pete Postlethwaite, man, I, that blew my mind. I, I said, you know what, I am... I'm in a different league now. Not that I, I personally am in a different league, but I'm among someone. Uh, I'm, I'm with someone that is in, a, in just a different league. You know, this guy is a, is a real heavyweight. You know, I'm, I'm very, very blessed to have worked with him. Your first memory of life in general? It would probably be being about three years old or around around that time, and kind of plinking around on the piano and. I just remember seeing the keys, like being eye level with the keys, you know. I, I, I remember that from, from a kid. Your memory of your first ever piano lesson? It was with my cousin. Oh, her name is Georgia. And she was, uh, it was at my, my aunt's house. And uh, they had a piano, and I was probably three or four, and she gave me a little, it wasn't like a formal lesson, but it was the first time somebody actually showed me something on the piano. Were you always a natural? Was it? I, yeah, I, I was obnoxious as a human, but I was... You know, like I, I had a natural talent for playing the piano. Like it felt, felt very like you see these young kids playing tennis at four years old. Like I was good at the piano. Mm. What about your first public performance? What's your memory? I was five years old. I played at uh, my dad. They opened his campaign headquarters for district attorney, and uh, I played the national anthem. And I heard the people applaud and became instantly addicted to the to, to the stage. You know, your first lucky break. Well, the biggest lucky break would have been uh, probably when Harry met Sally, for mm. sure. You know, that was like, a, well, I got a record deal when I was when I was 19. That was a pretty, that was pretty lucky. I'm trying to go back and think of something. What about that film, though? What did you think of the film, and what did you think of that particular scene that everyone talks about? Oh, I thought it was great. It was, you know, funny, and, you know, it's a classic scene. I thought, the, you know, it's a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies. You know, if it comes on on... on uh, TV, I'll, I'll watch it. It's just not only because of the memories, but I think it's just a fine piece of work. What was the first single record you ever bought? It was uh, Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. I was about maybe 13 or 14 years old, and somebody told me this is the record I needed to listen to. So, Did you ever buy any pop records when you were a kid? Oh, yeah, man. I bought, like, I was real into Stevie Wonder, Billy Joel, Kansas, Queen, Zeppelin. All of that stuff from that era, I was I was real into that. Did you go through phases of playing the same record over and over again, like a lot of? Yeah, like I would listen to, well, Night at the Opera, that record, Jazz by Queen. I listened to that record, my God, thousands of times. Hmm. Listened to a lot of Billy Joel, Stevie. Oh, too, yeah. Your first wage packet. What's the wage packet? Oh, the first time you got yeah. time you get paid. Yeah. When I was nine, when I when I did my first record. Hmm. Yeah. How much you got for it? I have no idea. No idea. A couple of hundred, probably. Whatever the scale, union scale was at the time. What would you have done with it? Would you have rushed down to the... No, I think my parents took it and put it aside. They always took the money I made. and I, I still don't know where that money is. Yeah. <laughs> so nine years old, you made your first record? Yeah, yeah, I was nine. That's incredible. And what was it called? It was called... Uh, uh, which one was it? Pure Dixieland. And the other one was called Dixieland Plus. I made one when I was nine, one when I was 11. Mm. With, with local jazz musicians. And how does it sound now? Pathetic. They're great. The recording is miserable. The actual sound recording is really bad. But the musicianship is intense, man. Mm. But my, my, my contribution was completely insignificant. Mm. It's a novelty, but once you get past the novelty, like it's like nothing was being played. But there's some actual cool singing on it. And I sing like Louis Armstrong, like I'm imitating him when I was like nine years old. That's pretty funny. 
the sort of thing they play when you're on This Is Your Life, isn't it? Yeah, I hope I never have to experience it. <laughs> your first major embarrassment? Those happen about every day, and I'm trying to think of it. Wait, wait, one just happened. Can't think of it. How about the old famous occasion with uh, Prince Edward at uh, Windsor Castle? Oh, yeah, but that wasn't embarrassing. That was just funny. That, like, to me, like, it really takes a lot to embarrass me, and I, I'm getting in situations all the time. But the Prince Edward thing, I, it's just diff- it was difficult for me to, to call this man your majesty when he's, like, my age. And that was just, it just, I couldn't understand that. You know, I was a kid. I'm playing in this situation, and I'm saying, well, what's up, Eddie? How you doing? And, then, you know, you're not supposed to, I wouldn't do that now, but then... I, I just was cocky and didn't know what I was doing. But to me, that was hilarious. I didn't think of that as being embarrassing at all. Did anyone actually pull you aside that night and say... My wife jabbed her heel into my foot about as hard as a human can do it. I said, if you do anything else to put your foot in your mouth, I'm, I am going to break your skin with my heel. How often do you become real friends with people you work with? Not, not too much. Usually on a movie set... You become. It's easy to become friends with them. Like like my my band. I'm. Uh, they're like brothers to me. I mean, I I socialize with them on and off the bandstand. And on a movie set, if you're lucky to come away with with one friend, you know, Hope floats. I came away with with Sandra as a dear friend. She's become a friend of mine. Um, the, the Wayward Son, the 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 uh, the focus puller. I became a dear friend of, and we still correspond. So it happens where you you know you're with these people all day. But, you know, it's said to be a very superficial business. Do you agree with that, or do you think that's a bit unfair? I think I think the business end of it is probably a bit superficial. Who's hot right now? And it's not really based so much on artistic merit as, as it is on box office draw and and hype, you know. So, But I don't, I'm not around that anyway. I mean, I, I don't... I know who I am, and I know where my quote-unquote popularity stands and that it will rise and fall over over time... So I don't I don't get into those meetings about we want Harry Connick and this and I don't, I'm not involved in that anyway. So, but but it is superficial on that level, I think. Would you like to be the hottest movie star? Oh yeah, it'd be great. Who wouldn't? That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> to what extent do girls throw themselves at you? Um, I was talking about this to my band not long ago. Like, it doesn't really it doesn't happen. It rarely, rarely happens. They were saying, Harry, there's a lot more, there's a lot of women out there. You're just not aware of it because you, I, I don't put forth that, that energy, you know? Like when I finish my show, I go on the bus and go to sleep. Like I, I don't hang out and go to parties and stuff like that. And they say, well, if you did, you know, the girls would be there, you know? And that's, it's funny to think about that. But I've been, I've been out of that scene for so long, man. I don't even think I'd know what it, if a woman were throwing herself at me, other than an incredibly obvious situation, man, I probably wouldn't even pick up on it. I'm sure there have been one or two funny incidents, though, that you can recount for us. You mean like with women? Yeah, maybe hiding themselves in your wardrobe or something. This never happened. I have had clothes disappear from my dressing room, like underwear and stuff. But I've never had, like... A lot of this stuff goes on, but I, don't, I really don't see it, man. I am completely sheltered from that. I... I go to the stage and off the stage, and I don't, I'll think of something. I'll think, but nothing that pops up in my mind, like nothing really weird like that that really happens. My band could probably tell you some stories. <laughs> you have a very honest, clean-cut image. Is that hard to live up to sometimes? I've never had to live up to it because I never, I never thought of it as an image. I mean, I, I am the way I am, and if people call that honest and clean-cut, then I'm honest and clean-cut, so I don't have to live up to it. You know, I don't know... You know, I'm I'm a guy like everybody else. I'm I'm just trying to make it. This is this is who you know who I am. So, but I, I'm not. I didn't. In other words, I didn't invent uh, this lifestyle because of some popularity I wanted to achieve. This is just me. It's been me the whole way through. So I'm not really living up to anything. The British newspaper, the Daily Telegraph, wrote of you: Harry wouldn't know sleaze if it moved in next door. He's as funky as a nun. Do you ever wish you had a more dangerous image? Man, I. I grew up around sleaze. I mean, I grew up, you know, around in New Orleans, you know, and there was drugs and prostitutes. My father being the DA, I mean, I saw all of that growing up. You know, it's just people don't really know me, and that, but that's that's cool. And I'm not saying, I mean, I got this dark past, and I'm not going to pop up on the Barbara Walters show, like, talking about all the prostitutes that I've been with, because it didn't happen, you know, but, 
you have to put people in a box if you're in the media. There has to be a descriptive way to relate your experience with someone to the people. Uh, and that's been how they've related me, and that's okay. Um, and in some ways it's accurate, in some ways it's not, but I, can't, I just can't control it. It's always said that you're a strict Roman Catholic. How strict are you? I mean, I go to church, you know, um, on Sundays. I mean, I've missed plenty of Sundays because of my schedule. But, I mean, I'm not like, I mean, you say strict. I mean, I'm not, I don't go every day. And, but I, I believe in the, the Roman Catholic philosophy. And like I say, I go to church, but I wouldn't call myself strict. I'm like the normal, you know, normal Catholic, I guess, if that's a term. Have you ever worried that anyone might come from your past and sort of reveal some horrible details about you? No, because I think I've led a pretty normal life. You know, I think um, I have a past, but I've normally associated with my, myself with people that are the type of people that I am. I, I, I kind of swim in the circles. You know, you stay close to home, and I don't think any of those people would come forth and, unless they made something up. I don't, I'm not really trying to hide anything. I'm not saying I haven't done anything wrong, but unless somebody chose to be particularly obnoxious, I don't see why they would come forward and say anything. You know, I've, I've said most of it myself. A lot of entertainers are drawn to politics. What about you? You mean to be in politics? I, in some way, man, if I feel like I could change something for the better, I don't think I have the discipline to adhere to the daily lifestyle of a politician. You know what I mean? Huh? You're too honest. No, no, no. Not like that. I don't think I have... I couldn't go 9 to 5 and actually do the work. I think I'd enjoy the big decisions, you know, but on a daily level, I couldn't do it, man. Because those are jobs, you know. Those are real, like, being a mayor and stuff. You have to, like, know a bunch of stuff about economy. I don't know any of that stuff. What lengths do you go to to protect your voice? I had to go through more lengths now... Um, because I've been singing a lot, man. Like, we're doing four, five, six nights a week. That's a lot of singing. Um, so a lot of times during the day, I'll just keep my voice down. Um, stupid stuff, like maybe lay out the caffeine a little bit because it dries you out and just make sure I get enough sleep. Like, like literally, when, when I'm finished, when I walk out of that venue, I, I go to sleep on the bus. I, I used to hang out all night on the band with the band and, I, I just can't. I can't do it. I, I won't have a voice if I do that. Because you're in the public eye, how much of a pressure is it to look good all the time when you're out? And do you make up for that at home? I, I, I probably should look better because I, you know, like now I have like a sweater and some pants. Normally, I I don't dress up when I go out and I look like a bum, you know. And it's kind of embarrassing when people see. Because like when I'm traveling, most of the time I'm I'm wearing sweatpants or jeans or t-shirt and baseball cap I just I, I reserve the time when I actually have to look decent for for when I'm performing <laughs> but you've got a reputation for being very dapper is that a difficult well, one to live up to oh no no because I, I don't live up to it because I mean when I'm out in public I you know it's like everybody man like you you come to an interview you look nice you have a shirt and it, but probably around the house you're not going to dress like that so you know when you're traveling around town you're in jeans and they get pictures of you and stuff and, but what man shoot man what are you going to do you know you just it's a almost silly business, the business that I'm in, and I don't live up to it. I just, when I'm in front of people, I try to look nice, and when I'm not, I don't. You're partly renowned for your natty suits. How many do you own? Man, I give a lot of suits away. I, I, go, I do go through a lot of suits. I wear them on stage, and they get they get messed up quick, you know, and I, I wear them uh, to a lot of functions, and you, you wear a lot of stuff. But I give them, I got guys in my band that are my size. If I hadn't given any away, I would own quite a few. <laughs> Have you ever disguised yourself to try and prevent yourself from being recognized? Um, I have. When, when I first started becoming famous, I used to do it because I thought I had to. What did you wear? I wear like a, like a wig, man. Did you? Oh, yeah, like oh. a pony, ponytail wig or like a big black, like a Howard Stern-looking mm -hmm. kind of wig or something. I wear like a fake mustache, you know, and... I remember one time, man, I was in an airport. <laughs> this is so stupid. And I had like a fake beard, like a beard and a mustache. 
and uh, and a wig or something. And, and I'm getting my shoes shined at the airport. I had about an hour to kill. And this person sat next to me and goes, "Are you are are you, are you Harry Connick? Like, no, I'm not." And I'm like playing it off, and like, like, I mean, I swear, you really look like Harry Connick with a beard, you know? I said, I'm not, and and I'm playing this whole game, and I'm saying afterwards, I said, what am I doing, man? What's this guy gonna do? Cut my throat? He's probably gonna say, you know, I have your album, nice music, see you later, you, you know? Get yeah, exactly. And uh, so, you know, all that disguise stuff, man. Look, if you if you don't want to be recognized, just don't go out. But then, on the other hand. I'm not like Michael Jordan, who I heard like can't go to Disneyland with his kids, you know, like that. I, I don't know what that level of fame was like, but my level of fame, you know, I don't, I don't disguise myself too much. You've won many awards. Are there any that you're still keen to win? I've never been a big awards guy. I'm proud to have won the awards that I have, and I've only the only awards I've ever won were two Grammys, um, and I'm pleased to have won. Why well, it says a lot more on the list. Emmy and all that stuff. I don't know where they get that. I never won an Emmy. I never won the, none of that stuff I ever got. But I, I hear that a lot. You've won an Emmy. You've won two Grammys, an Oscar nomination. Or, I didn't get any of that stuff. Oh, they did nominate a song I sang for The Godfather, but I was so removed from that whole thing. But so I'm, awards are cool, but not. That's not why I'm doing it. Musically, do you feel your best is yet to come? Yeah, definitely, man. If people would hang in there with me a little bit longer, they're really going to start hearing something. But it just takes a while for a jazz musician to develop. It's like a doctor. Um, you know, you don't want a 21-year-old surgeon operating on your brain. You know, you want like a, maybe a 35 or 50, 60-year-old doctor. Just give me some time. I'm still in my my internship, you know, uh, and I'm just getting out of it. So, when, man, when I'm 40 and when I'm 50, I think I'll be really dealing with something. I really do. Do you feel that ultimately you'll end up living back in New Orleans? It's too hot. <laughs> it's so hot. Have you been to New Orleans at all? It is unbelievably hot, and uh, that's probably the the single reason. I still go there to visit a lot, but uh, no, I don't think I could live there. Would you like to become an old crooner like Sinatra did and Bing Crosby and so on? Well, I think that's what I want inevitably will become. I mean, when you say crooner, I mean, that's just... a. <clears throat> A boy singer is what they, you know, a man singer. So hopefully I'll be able to do it when I'm an old man. If your career ended tomorrow, what would you do? Cry. I would really cry because I'm loving it. I cry myself a river, bro, because I just I'm having so much fun. But I would also understand that that's the nature of the business. And after I got over the the initial shock of it, I would cry some more. <laughs> what would you like your epitaph to be? Um. I guess people say, like, how do you want to be remembered? And I say, well, I just want to be remembered, period. But on the gravestone, he could really play the piano, something like that.